0: Welcome to the Merkle, where we showcase the experiences and learnings of only the best builders and investors in Web3. I'm your host, Yang, and let's kick it off. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today we have a very special session on the Merkle with a very special guest. A warm hello to DCF God, one of the leading crypto anons in the space today. If you are on Crypto Twitter, he probably needs no introduction. For those unfamiliar with him or Crypto Twitter as a whole, I think it'd be interesting to hear his views on crypto investing and the market. Having been in crypto ever since the ICO boom in twenty seventeen, expecting lots of alpha in the show, and let's dive straight to it. So DCF, thank you so much for coming on. I'd love to hear more about your background and why you choose to participate in the ecosystem as an anon instead of a profit profile. I'm super curious about that. Um, So yeah, let's get get straight to it. For sure. Um,
1: Why don't we start with background and then we can go into like why Anon or like the story or how it landed. Um, So for me, my background is mostly in software. So how I got into crypto was, I was a software engineer in university um, and my roommate at the time, uh, he wanted to buy some like drugs online and so he had to buy Bitcoin and, you know, we were looking at his drug money and we were like, dude, why do you keep making money? Like, why, why does this number keep going up? And we looked into Bitcoin and we were like, wow, this is actually really cool. We were like nerds back then because um, we were we were studying software engineering and we became like Andreas and Topolis, like mega fans. We were these like Bitcoin maxis. And we started making money by just like arbitraging between um, Bitcoin on one exchange and real life. So we would buy Bitcoin on exchange and then we would meet up with someone in like a McDonald's or Starbucks and do this like cash deal transfer kind of thing. Um, And that was like essentially how we how we started to get into get into crypto. But that was like way back in 2013. Uh, And then Bitcoin crashed and I forgot it all existed. And I went on with my life and I didn't work in crypto or anything like that. Um, And then we saw the rise of Ethereum happen in 2017. And for me, like before that, I fell into that like maximalist Bitcoin maximalist camp, um, and that was like a huge lesson for me, like not to be a maxi on anything because I missed a lot of like early Ethereum. But then once I started to like look into Ethereum, actually try it, use some of these D apps. I remember like the first D app I used was one of those D apps where you could like pool funds with people online and like all together invest in an ICO. Um, but and saw like how permissionless money would work and come together i really enjoyed it um and then of course lost a bunch of money in like ico land got dumped on twice i told myself you know fool me twice shame on me um so the third time around uh i said i will not be dumped on third time around i'll definitely try to get a lot more involved um so here we are Uh, i saw like kind of like crypto coming around again with the rise of DeFi. I started to get much more heavily involved when like EMs and yearn and whatnot took off. So I started investing again and it leads us to today. And then outside of crypto, mostly am just like into software engineering and running businesses. So I have a business outside of crypto um, that I run and that business does quite well. And then I, before that, I uh, was working at like kind of fang
0: like companies. Now, you must be really OG. Um, I'd love to hear more about your transition from being a participant on the side or this is a quiet observer on what ha- what's happening on Bitcoin and Ethereum to being more active and participating in all these ICOs, uh, starting a Twitter profile, getting to 70,000 followers. Tell me more about that journey um, into you eventually getting to where you are today, um, advising projects, um, even co founding um, a project of your own. Yeah. So. I was tweeting a lot from my like doxed
1: self account, and I was just noticing that my engagement was like going down only. Like at the time, I was talking about like people earning interest on uh, yams, like internet food coins, and like all my friends and my other tech bros were like, You're just like lost. Like, what is going on? So I was like, Okay, I need to go find my people. So I made an add on account called uh, DCF God, and that's just because. Uh, I took some business classes when I was in university, and I remember like the only useful thing was like discounted cash flow statements. Everything else I felt was like fluff. Uh, so that was like the one thing that stuck with me. So I said, "Oh, this will be like a great Twitter handle." So uh, we made that. We made that Twitter handle, and um, the first thing I did was just just tweet as I was like trading in crypto land. And I think the first two projects that I kind of got involved with were. Uh, Matcha, and that's because zero X was like my favorite token from 2017 ICO era. So I always kept up with them and I was using matcha as an aggregator. So I just like tweet out like feedback to the matcha team. Like, oh, I wish this was like this. I wish that was like that. Or, oh, one inch does this, but you do this. Um, And a lot of them would respond to me and I started building a following that way. And then I started farming uh, RARI RGT very early on. Um, And I started, I think at some point I was like, uh top 10 holders and so i was tweeting at the rari team a lot very often and just getting involved in those two communities is what kind of kick-started it so i would say i didn't go hand on because i was like worried about the governments or i didn't want to pay my taxes or any of that kind of like crazy shit. i just went hand on because i felt like um on my docs account i wasn't uh, my friends didn't really care about it kind of wanted to find my people and i thought it'd be something fun And then looking forward to today like i'm really enjoying being it and there's been a lot of like adventures i didn't expect would happen that did happen because of it it's it's definitely a lot more fun and i'd recommend people doing it it's almost like building a brand but when you build your brand you can just be your perceived self instead of having to be your real self so you can just put out there whatever you want to put out there it's like quite freeing and, and quite fun and when you meet people and you dox to them it's like almost like a nft reveal event but with
0: yourself yeah, and I do know multiple people who have a four to five different twi- uh, anon accounts on Twitter, um, both all with different personalities, personalities, and I don't actually know how they do it. It's not simple at all. Um, you have to manage all your workflows and things like that. Um, it's not easy. It, it is not.
1: I don't have any other alts. I just have I just have this one, and my like public one, my, my like, docs sell Twitter, like, hasn't tweeted in ages, it's, it's definitely way too hard.
0: Awesome, um, I want to jump straight into the action. Um, I've seen most of your tweets, um, the way you think about markets and the way you talk about certain projects. Um, so I just want to start us off by talking about what is most interesting to you right now, what is capturing your attention in the market and why? Yeah. So- I think I've become
1: quite famous on Twitter for like the RFVOR meme. Um, and that's why I spend a lot of my time because I just think that there's a lot of projects, like we had a like crazy bull market and all these projects went up only, right? And of the projects that went up only, some went up only and kept none of the money or took all the money and profits for themselves. And other projects actually built up these very large decentralized treasuries that are owned by the token holders. And what happened on the way down is everyone sold off every project equally. So the projects that had no cash sold off just as hard as the projects that had tons of cash. So what I've been doing is I've been going from project to project and specifically looking for projects that are undervalued by literally every metric. And there are tons of projects out there where this happens. And then what I do is I try to accumulate as much of the supply as possible in those projects and then participate in governance, like be a good holder, do everything I can to support them, help the number go up. And the way, I see, the way I see that is like a very good bear market strategy because it's really hard to lose money unless the team like outright rugs or lies or does something they didn't promise to do. Um, so that's mostly where I'm focused. And then sometimes I'll chase narratives. So what I've found in crypto is like, there's two, there's two very good ways to invest. One is narrative chasing because uh, all of crypto tends to work like how venture works in real life, where it's more about like the hype to push the price up than it is about the fundamentals. And then uh, the other way I invest is, like I said, it's more about uh, just like looking at the fundamentals and seeing things that are aggressively undervalued. But I try to like uh, skip on the stuff that are like decent fundamentals only. It's either like. This is obviously way too
0: oversold, or this is obviously about to become a huge narrative. Yeah, I want to dive deeper a bit into the first leg of what you mentioned regarding the RFV trade. Um, many projects today don't have uh, very clear transparency and accounting yeah. standards. Um, they don't have um, any clear communication as to whether the token actually is linked to uh, the value within the treasury. Um, I'd love to... Uh, hear about how you think about that and how you do your due diligence uh, with regards to that Expect that's
1: actually a very easy answer there are lots of projects out there that literally say the token holder does have a claim on the treasury and you just buy those ones right uh for example let me give you an example of one that happened so rome dow for instance was just trading at like four dollars a coin but on, they had something like, uh, I think it was 12 or $13 per coin in their treasury, right? So I joined uh, one of their community calls where the founders were talking, and I just asked them on the community call, how do you guys see this massive treasury, like what's it for? And they said on the call, the treasury is for whatever token holders want, there is no more inflation and we will never mint any more Rome. So I already knew that the people who held the token had control over the treasury. Then I looked at who owns this token. And I saw it was like one of the most like decentralized, um, tokens. Like there was no one person that could really control the vote. So then I started buying a, a lot of Rome and then like I let time pass. And as like the community discussed it and the team discussed it, the team actually ended up putting up a, a vote where they were like, look, we have all this excess money. We don't really want to be a fund. We do want to build our game. So why don't we just say the holders can claim the piece that was going to just be like this farming fund and they can keep it for ourselves and um, we'll use the rest to build the game for the holders. Now, what I ended up putting out was uh, people were ended up being really savage towards the team and the team got really frustrated and they were like, fine, we don't even want to build this anymore. So they said, let's just end the project and everyone can come claim their piece of the treasury. At the end of the day, I still was able to make like, you know, a three to four X on my money because the team didn't steal the funds. And in either in any world, if they had built the game, there still would have been upside because there's a ton of treasury to distribute. Or if they had not built the game, there would have still been upside because there was even more treasury to distribute. So it was literally an unlosable trade. That's like a, a good example. And if you look at today, there are many examples um, that still exist. But
0: I would say, day by day, there become there comes fewer and fewer of them. That's fascinating. And if that's one thing I learned from that, it seems it, it seems to be the case that you can actually make money in a bear market in crypto, and there are still a lot of opportunities out there for people to um, to find value in assets.
1: Yeah, like I always say, if if there was like a TradFi person in crypto with a regular fund, they would be having a field day. Like TradFi people, they like work, their like 30 hours a day, it's not even 30 hours in a day, they work like 15 hours a day to find any way to try to earn like 20% a year on their money, you know? But there's opportunities in crypto where you can size in and get like a guaranteed 60 or 70% upside as long as the team doesn't literally just steal all the money. It's like, that's the bet you're making. Will they steal it all or no? And they've said it's backed. So like, they've literally advertised our token is backed. Um, Everyone who, like everyone who holds a token would have a claim on treasury if the project was to end. Um, This is where the book value is. And this is where it currently trades at. And in the next X weeks, we're gonna figure out how to get back to backing. It's like, it's literally screaming free upside, but still to this day, people don't take those opportunities. And that's because in crypto, it's like the holders or the users are not as, uh, are not, they're not like funds, they're not thinking on multi-year timelines, they're not looking for like uh, slow, consistent returns. A lot of the users are like DGENs where they're like looking for a 10X in, in three months. Um, so there's a lot of space for someone with a value mindset to come in and size. Um, like if you, if you size your entire portfolio into something that does plus 50%, You make more money than if you size 5% of your portfolio into something that does a few
0: multiples, right? So just thinking about sizing it differently. For sure, and I agree with you on that. Um, And it seems as though discovering and filtering out the right projects really comes from your social network, um, mostly online, um, hiding within Telegram and Discord channels and um, whatever your Twitter DMs receive. Do you think that is an important edge in investing in crypto? Yeah. So for me, I think like the reason I I've been
1: able to succeed here is because I was active during the bull market, right? It's like, it's hard to just come in here with no context and find projects. But because I was so active during the bull market, um, like I, I remember sitting at my desk for like, you know, 15 hours a day, just like, looking at projects being invested in like 50 things at once having my money in like god knows where places like wallets buying an nft here buying a shit coin there trading some own fork here and because of that like i feel like i got a little dabble of every project so now when it comes to the bear market i can remember like oh i bought this project which had a treasury i bought that project which had a treasury and it lets me like kind of it lets me kind of remember. So I just go and look back at all the old projects and I see how are they doing now? And now that crypto Twitter is completely forgotten about them. And then I just kind of like keep tabs on them. And then as you do that, you'll realize that like you start to see the same faces in all of these discords. Like I would say the like uh, RFVR camp is like a small circle of like 10 to 20 people. And like a lot of people think like, oh, maybe they have insider info or some shit like that. But nobody does and there's not even like a RFUR group chat or any of that kind of shit it's literally just like we all end up hopping from discord to discord like in that discord someone will say like oh i'm training um this spot this token because it's this much below backing another person will say i'm training this token because i'm getting these really good yields or this pro- this project's really good because it has real revenues and you kind of just like learn from each other and talk to each other in discords and you navigate the universe that way um it's, that's really the secret is just like join, make a profile, be active and go deep and go a layer deeper than just like joining general chat and saying GM, right? Like if you're, if you're the kind of person that will write a proposal for the treasury to do something, then the team is going to naturally message you. And then you'll become friends with them. And then you'll ask them like, oh, like what, what are you guys looking at? And then they'll give you tips on where they're looking to like farm with their treasury or um, things they're looking to invest in, which then makes you
0: go look at those things and makes relationships tighter, and then your network grows, and so on. I now really want to dive into the second part of what you mentioned, um, narrative investing slash trading. A lot of these narratives, they are inherently very PVP trades. Um, You have to be early and it seems as though it's almost random how narratives form and how they die out. Um, how do you access when a narrative is forming and how do you front run that in a sense?
1: Yes, okay, so there's there's a few things here. Um, First is like you have to actually kind of believe the narrative. So I find I'm really bad at trading um, like the dog coins, ironically, as someone with a Doge PFP, Uh, because those narratives are hard for me to follow because I don't really understand them, right? It's like, OK, why is a person buying uh, SHIB right now? Like the, the number is going up. There's clearly a narrative. It doesn't have any cash. People are buying it because of the memes. But like, I I personally don't see the narrative there. So it's hard for me. Whereas if you look at something like XMON, um, like that's a narrative I was able to catch, right? Or like PseudoSwap or something like Redacted with Butterfly with their like real yields or their real incomes. Those are narratives. I I can catch on to you because I actually believe them myself. Um, And then you kind of just like follow that narrative until the idea is like until you can think of it as when there are more people that have bought than people. When more people, sorry, when there are no more people to buy, then it's very hard for the token to still go up. Right. So oftentimes, like selling peak narrative is just figuring out, is there still more people to buy this coin than there is to sell? um And then that's how you kind of know when to when to when to trade it. But I, I'm pretty bad at timing those things, so I tend to buy when I think like, oh, there's a narrative going to be forming here, and I tend to sell when I'm like, okay, it's like it's priced in enough. I, it's really hard to time those like pico tops or, or pico bottoms. And then to catch them, the key is to like really follow the data um, instead of following instead of following crypto Twitter, because if crypto Twitter is already talking about it you're generally already kind of late to it. um, And it's possible that a bunch of people have have already bought it and now they're just like kind of trying to shill their own bags, right? Um, But if you're actively involved in all the discords, you're kind of able to able to see ahead of time, like what project are all these other projects trying to integrate with and why? Uh, And then that's what helps you catch catch steam on them. Maybe an example will help. For example, right now, like, you have like FRAX, right? So people are like aggressively selling off FRAX right now um, because of the USDC narrative. People are like, Oh, USDC is horrible. FRAX is so reliant on USDC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like kind of sold down. So now you need to figure out, okay, when are they going to flip the narrative? Like at some point that's going to get priced in and they're going to start to start to release a bunch of bullish stuff. And that's kind of like when you want to be buying, So to do that, you want to be involved in the Discord, you want to go on the Telegram, you want to do your research. And you'll probably learn that like, oh, they're actually already working on uh, Fraxland and Fraxland's already in Testnet. So maybe you want to go see how far along the Testnet is or when it will launch or what partners they're going to go with or what kind of returns that's going to be expected for FXS holders, right? Um, And then you want to go a little deeper and you'll see like, oh, they actually have a ETH liquid staking thing they're working on, like a Lido competitor for um, for staked ETH. And I feel like no one's been talking about that. So, But they mentioned it kind of in their telegrams, they mentioned it a little bit here and there. So find out when is that coming out? How far along are they on, on those things? And then when you put those pieces together, uh, you can time it a little bit better. And then you can also be part of the narrative. So you can help write the threads, you can help get the word out there, you can help become a user. So that's what's really cool about crypto is that everything is liquid, everything is accessible and all the info is already out there. You just need to like time it right and then be
0: part of those those swings. Oh, nice. I was always a huge fan of Rex, but I didn't keep tabs on what they're doing. And it seems I didn't know about that new product coming out.
1: Yeah. See, there you go. Like there's two like massive products coming out and I think it's pretty soon. Um, but I feel like most people don't even realize that. So if you can be the one to understand that, do the research first, do some math around it, then, hey, maybe you want to make the Dune, the Dune dashboard and then put that Dune dashboard out there to really show people that, like, look, these numbers are real, they're actually making money and, um, and whatnot, then that can help, only help fuel the narrative.
0: Yeah, you touch on an important point here, and that is that you have to participate in the ecosystem yourself. Um, I used to be more of like a bystander style investor, but I did realize that my thoughts and my ideas being put out there does change the fundamentals of the project. It determines whether it can succeed in a rather reflexive way, which is interesting. Yes,
1: everyone's does. And that's why crypto, that's why I feel like this like whole world we live in is really cool. It's because the people that are quiet, like, are generally like more quiet people uh, tend to be very active on Twitter because it lets them like, just let all their thoughts out. It's just like mental vomit and you don't have to show who you are, you don't have to be extroverted. You can literally just like mental vomit all over Twitter and people will listen to your ideas and they'll follow you and they'll chat with you
0: and they'll, uh, you know, help win alongside you, which is really cool. Nice. I'd love to extend the time horizon of the investments we're talking about to um, a couple of years to even like. A- to the time frame of even a decade. What are some trends in crypto you're excited about? What long-term thesis do you have for the space? Yeah, so you know that saying where it's like, you overestimate what you can do in
1: five years, but you underestimate what you can do in 10 years. Um, I feel like that's, that's quite true for crypto. Like, you know, we're, we're two years or three years into this, like uh, new DeFi, uh, bull market. And people are, people are, I think people are feeling a little underwhelmed right now. They thought like, oh, by now, all the banks would be using money to transfer to each other. And it would be this like utopia of trading stocks permissionlessly and so on and so forth. And I think people have kind of like started to be like, maybe that stuff won't happen. But um, if you go another like five, six years into the future, once we're like through this like regulatory hurdle, I feel like a lot of that will still happen. So over the long run, what I'm most bullish on um, is certainly still. DeFi in general, like if you think about how much just the value of uh, giving everyone trustless banking, like it's multi, it's a multi trillion dollar opportunity. Right. Can I tell you that Ave will be the one to do that or Compound will be the one to do that? Definitely no. Um, do I think it will be built on it built on Ethereum? Like definitely. Well, not definitely, but I would say likely yes. So like. For my long-term investments, I mostly just hold hold Ethereum. And then for like all of the app layer stuff, um, I don't pick based on uh, just like what feels right. I usually just try to like pick based on metrics. And then if I see the business con- con- continuing to grow and making more revenues, I treat it like a regular business and I'll buy it. And then if I see it shrinking, I'll sell it. And, and that's how I handle the app layer. So I would say I'm not so like, 10 year aligned on like the, the mega DeFi projects, but I am pretty 10 year aligned on DeFi as a whole and on Ethereum as a whole. Um, so, going back to like why I think it will be a uh, multi trillion or the, the biggest market, um, if you look at like, I have a friend and he, uh, his family's in Lebanon and their currency just got like completely inflated to almost worthless. And his family went from like wealthy to like not even being able to buy a bottle of Advil. And they went from putting all their cash in a bank to now hiding all their cash underneath a mattress. They went from being able to wake up every day and trust their bank to support them and to give them loans to build other businesses, to not to having their bank literally be an adversary. So I think here in like Canada and America, we we trust our banking. We know that. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to wake up in the morning and be rugged. I'm not going to wake up tomorrow. and not going to be, and be unable to afford the coffee down the street um, and so on. But in the rest of the world, that's actually not a thing. And uh, crypto will one day make that a thing for the rest of the planet. And when we do that, uh, you can just see like the value of all of banking in like uh, in developed countries. Now what's that value for the rest of the world that doesn't have it yet? It's got to be equivalent, which is already uh, multi trillion. Well, maybe not as much money, but it'll start there. It'll be better there. And then even our banks will start to start to replace it. Right. Like just the costs of uh, facilitating a loan on Aave uh, versus facilitating a loan in real life has got to be like hundreds of millions in net savings or maybe even billions in net savings if all loans were happening um, on chain, like just the paperwork of paying a human to Take in that loan, sign you up, make the wire transfer to you, uh, send you a check, uh, send you a reminder every month to pay your interest, and so on and so forth, is like miles beyond a smart contract that just takes your collateral. So, DeFi as a whole will be multi-trillion. The opportunity size is huge, and just the economics of it for how much money it could save. Will make it happen, whether regulations like it or not. Yeah,
0: and like on that note, it's important to remind ourselves that we're still early. Like even for different verticals within crypto, there's there's so much potential to achieve. Yeah, ironically, very early. The meme is true. Like
1: we are actually early. But buying Ave, yeah, but buying Ave doesn't mean like you're gonna be a bazillionaire and you're early. It's like lending will be a thing, but no one knows
0: what the winner is gonna be or where the value will accrue to. Nice. This is going to get interesting. So how do you actually pick winners uh, amongst like all these various projects and folks? There are so many out there. Um, how do you evaluate the best um, tokens to bet on this trend? Yeah. I just stay away from things I can't form a view on and then I buy
1: things where the metrics make sense. Right? So it's like, I, I try to treat DeFi products like uh, regular businesses with really bad moats. Um, so it's like, are they making revenue how consistent is that revenue how forward looking can i can i look at it do they have to emit? if not where does the revenues come through, come come to become token holders if so then i can like buy those kind of revenues or that 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 business today for cheaper than
0: what it'll be worth later right and then you price in some some sort of nice could you walk me through um an example of two um as to how you actually carry out this um, valuation process?
1: Yeah, like, uh, if, I'll give you two examples today. Like, if you look at uh, Redacted, uh, right now they're building a product called Hand in Hand, and they're building another product uh, on top of Convex, it's called Pyrex, and it auto compounds your, your Convex bribes for you into more Convex to get more bribes. Now, neither of these products um, require any emissions, so they don't have to give you any butterfly tokens to have you use it. People are just paying them to use it, right? And they're making something like twenty dollars to $40,000 a week right now in net profits with no emissions, and their treasury has $30 million of cash-like assets in it. So if I had like a regular business with $30 million of cash and $30,000 of, of weekly profits, Um, and it's like, it's been like growing 20% ish, uh, like per more than 20%. It's kind of hard because like the last three weeks have been really big. And like last month was really small, but like, I would say on average, you probably get like 20% weekly growth. Like if you, if you had those kind of metrics in a regular business, it'd probably be like trading at like a 200 or $300 million valuation, but you can buy it in crypto today for like literally slightly higher than it's cash. So it's it's crazy, right? Those like misalignments. So I do trade on on that kind of metric often. Whereas if you look at uh, other DeFi protocols, um, like say Uniswap, their their treasury is all is basically all Uni tokens. So it's like they don't really have like a massive cash treasury, and they have literally no fees. So they don't make any money. Um, you're just buying the option that they could make money, uh, and I feel like that's just like a way worse offering. So when I'm thinking about which one should I buy, I'm always choosing uh, redacted over the other.
0: Yeah, I guess uh, uni holders are still waiting for their fee switch to be turned on, um, maybe a few tickets. Yeah, but
1: there, yeah, and then there's also other projects that are actually making revenues, but like their emissions are higher than their revenues. So it's like, can you really consider those revenues if they have to pay more to get them and, and things along those lines? But I think that's what makes this like bear market time fun is you can buy stuff for cheaper than you should be able to buy it. And then you can just wait.
0: So other than DeFi, are there any other bright spots in crypto or any other sectors that you're particularly interested in trading or any sort, of, Um, like put another way, any other businesses um, that you think might produce strong future cash flows worth investing in?
1: Yeah. So NFT is like. I, I like the NFTs for, so there's a couple of different types of NFTs like the NFTs that are art and people collect them because of art. I like those. The NFTs that are Ponzi's, like in the sense of like people buy them and then the only value they have is for someone else to shill them and they aren't buying them because they actually want them. They're only buying them because they can sell them to someone else. I hate those NFTs. Like I'm, I'm generally pretty bearish on them. The NFTs that are like people want to use them as identity and they want to make it their like persona. I'm like very bullish on those because um, that's the kind of NFT like you will never sell that puts you part of a community you want to be part of that continuously get better and so on and so forth. Um, Anita is has like a good fit for that. I can give you like the full pitch on that if you want. Um, and then I'm bullish on those. And then GameFi NFTs, I think um, we went through this Period where GameFi NFTs worked really well, but they only worked well in the bull where there were like consistent buyers because it kind of like was part of this like uh Ponzi fuel. Um, I think we've yet to see like GameFi NFTs that will work sustainably. Um, there's two projects I think could pull it off, like Parallel and Ragnarok. Um, and I've been buying like uh Webiverse plots as well, just because like I've seen the quality of their metaverse and like their, their market cap of NFTs versus what other what other um, metaverses are trading at is just like way off. Um, but that's really it. Um, I wouldn't say I'm like the biggest NFT collector guy. Like I don't own a bunch of apes or I don't own any CryptoPunks or I don't have any Azukis or anything like that. Just because I never wanted to make them my identity. But like if I wanted one as identity, I would definitely.
0: Nice. Well, other than those metrics and I guess like or criteria you mentioned uh, is there anything that we left out as to how you evaluate a certain project any do you have any key mental models you use um, that i think it would be great to hear about
1: yeah honestly it's like very similar to traditional startups so because like i built a startup in the past i think like a lot of this stuff just translates over to crypto and then a lot of the investors haven't come and translated those those metrics either. Right. And I think with time we'll see a lot of this regular startup metrics come along and do the same. So things like uh, growth rates. So like week over week, how how fast is this growing? And then in terms of growth, I'm I don't I mean I mean like like not based on price, but based on revenues, uh number it's not and revenues not always the key thing, like. If you're just growing your users week over week, I think that's that's an amazing metric because you can then later figure out how to earn revenue for those users as long as you can uh, retain them, right? So a net wallet growth matters, um, net revenue growth matters, uh, those are probably the, the two main ones actually, or time spent in app if you're a game. Those those are probably like some some key metrics. And then you want to see how fast they're growing. So. If it's like linear growth, then, you know, it's like an okay business. You you can't really buy it at like multiples. Um, But if it's exponential growth, then you can you can pay a little bit uh, a little bit more expensive for it because, you know, in a few weeks, um, it's going to have grown exponentially as long as they continue to do what they're doing. And then if you see exponential growth, you have to ask yourself, like, is this exponential growth sustainable? So like, have they built like a positive flywheel that will that will continue, or is it like kind of like bullshit exponential growth that's just happening because they're emitting a ton of their their own token, right? Um, or is it a Ponzi? Uh kind of just like how UST growth was, is like uh very Ponzi based, right? Um yeah, so traditional startup metrics like that I would say are good. Uh what other metrics matter? Like I'd say that's key. Um Oh, and then like we don't get a lot of info on this, but like acqu- customer acquisition costs, I feel are gonna start to become a thing. Um, LTVs, like the lifetime value of a customer is gonna start to become a thing. And I think that's more akin to NFTs than than to DeFi. Um, you can think I kind of try to think of NFTs almost like e-commerce, uh, where it's like you've created this product and a person is buying the final product, which is the NFT, and then you need to figure out how do you retain them. How do you make them happy? How do you make them obsessed with your brand? How do you continue to sell them stuff and and so on?
0: Yeah, I think a lot of these traditional metrics and methods used in the traditional financial world definitely will come to apply to crypto and become increasingly relevant um, in the next few months and years. And the
1: the only the only difference in crypto, I would say, and uh, traditional investing is that because crypto is liquid right off the beginning for a lot of these like altcoins, you also have to keep in mind the like FDV versus market cap ratio and how fast is the FDV becoming the market cap and what will the investors do? Like I think people say FDV is a meme, but it's really not. Like if I'm an investor in a project and I invest at like when I invest, I'm investing in an FDV, right? So if I invest at a, th- at a 10 mil FDV and then the project gets started and it trades at a 500 mil FDV and the market cap is 10 mil, even if I unlock, I'm not going to be like, oh, it's just 10 million. I'm going to be like, oh, like it's actually 500 million by my, stand, my my standards, I'm up 50X, like I should be selling um, because I have to value this as a $500 million business because I'm locked in with the rest of my coins. So
0: Yeah, like the token emission chart um, at the Gitbook docs. And uh, that's a classic. It's like <laughs> the most important thing. <laughs> yeah, and like shout out to all those teams who do a cumulative emission chart instead of a static pie chart that is so helpful. Yeah, I hate the pie chart.
1: <laughs> the pie chart is just a big psyops. So they just put like half the pie is DAO and then they just do whatever the fuck they want with DAO and you don't really know anyway, right? Um, so it's 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 hard. But yeah, emission chart is is the most important thing when those unlocks happen, and then yeah, and that sucks. Like I don't think that should be a thing you should have to
0: worry about, but sadly it is. Cool. Does like the team come into the picture in any way? Um, how do you evaluate them, um, given that it's, you know, crypto and everyone's like all over the place, how am in on? Oh, of
1: course the team, the team comes in the picture. Like, uh, when you're early stage investing, the team is more important than any metric at the end of the day, the team can make all the choices. So if you're investing in a project where the team believes all, all of the revenues for, should be for them, then they could just like take it in and put it in the business and then put the money in their pockets, right? and then you would see nothing. Or if you're in a business where they believe the governance token is not actually, is actually just a worthless governance token, then they could just say, oh, my business is making money. I don't know why you even own this token. So everything depends on the team. Or what if they make promises and they don't actually have engineers that could build those out? Or what if the team is actually working on like nine different projects at the same time, you know they're not gonna care about this specific one. Um, Nobody can, no matter how hard the community works, Nobody can execute unless the team is willing to execute. So I would say it's, it's certainly the most, the most important metric. It's like, if you think the team is bad or malicious, it's just a non-start, I wouldn't even waste your time investing.
0: Yeah. I agree with all those points. It's very important to invest in excess founder motivation and founder commitment.
1: Yeah. Like in, 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 in traditional VC, like when I built my first startup, Um, I raised at like some lowish cap. And I spent like four years of my life working on only that thing. And I did a sync with my investors every two weeks. And I felt like they gave me this opportunity. And it was like my life's work to make it succeed. And all my eggs were in this basket. And I would get no liquidity unless it like actually succeeded. But in crypto, like that somehow doesn't translate. Like teams will raise money, work on it for three months, and then go raise money again for some other thing. And I'm like, this makes no sense. It's like, the product ends up being the user that's buying it so that um, they can dump on them. And I hate when teams do that and I'm like very strongly against it. So when I see that, I usually just like don't even participate in the project. Like that's when I invest, that's usually one of the first things they ask is like, is this your life's work? And if their answer is no, there's like some side thing or I'm working on this other thing as well. or I should be allowed to or this or that. then I'm like, that's cool, but I, I don't think it's an investment for me.
0: Great, I want to throw in an open question here um so if you had a crystal ball that could tell you with perfect accuracy um one thing about the future of um humanity or the world, um what would you ask for it, of it? You can only ask one thing <laughs> um, the, it, honestly, it just
1: like depends on what you're optimizing for, right like. For me, it's probably just around, like, am I happy and family is good and all, all that kind of stuff. Like, no catastrophic shit happens, and um, then I'm like happiest and, and everything's fine. But like, if, if we're in the context of this call and it's about crypto, then the mo- the thing I'm most curious about is probably just does Ethereum become this like worldwide settlement layer or not? That's what we all want to know, right? Like, are we all building all our apps on this? Do we have this like? open trustless financial system and is the world all happy and giddy or does it become this really fucked up like government run thing where they we all have addresses that are whitelisted and the government knows exactly which transactions we're making and suddenly we've built this really dystopian future with our tech instead of this utopian thing where everyone's free and jolly and it really could
0: go both ways from here um so I'm curious where we land I think that's a very nice point to leave off our conversation. Um, DCF, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, Really enjoyed this chat with you, and I'm sure our listeners will learn a lot as well. Um, Hope to have you back sometime soon. Sweet. Thanks, dude. Appreciate the time. Peace. If you found this episode helpful, do give us a like and subscribe. Do put down in comments anything or anyone you'd like to see in this show. You can find me on Twitter or Telegram at Yo That's Y-O-I-T-S-Y-O-U-N-G. Thank you for listening and see you soon.